The Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the Sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. The word of the Lord. Let's pray to God, we are thankful for these words from the prophet Isaiah. We're thankful that you have been revealing yourself for so long to your people. We're thankful that you continue to reveal yourself even today to us in places like this and to many others who seek you all around the world. And so we pray that you would open our ears to hear your word in a new way this evening that you would help us to appreciate the breadth and depth of verses like this verse from Isaiah. And that you would help us to see how it applies to us in our lives, Monday to Saturday. That this reality of your servant would become a reality that has meaning for us in our day to day. We pray all these things in your name, amen. We need a table up here. Um, in this Lenten series, we've been looking at these servant songs, these four songs nestled into the end of the book of Isaiah. About, um, they're about this person who is to come, a liberator who brings people out of darkness. And what we've been realizing as a community, slowly but surely, is that the Savior that we want is not like the person that this, these songs describe but that the person these songs describe is actually the savior that we need. The third servant song in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 50, that was read for us tonight, offers the same opportunity to us to be honest about what we've been looking for in a savior and to come to terms with how much better the reality of this servant of the Lord, of Jesus Christ, is for us. The song begins with the servant speaking. He says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. And you might be thinking, well, that seems promising. This seems like the kind of savior that we may actually be drawn to. You know, a good speaker with winsome ideas and maybe a charismatic personality. Somebody who says what we need them to say for us to keep going. Who knows what to say and when to say it. I don't think any of us would dispute that that is tremendously good. 
And the verse goes on, morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The servant isn't just a teacher, he's a learner as well. Day by day, the servant is taking in new information from God, adjusting his ministry for the needs of that day and for the people who would hear him. And we all here might still be on board with this servant of the Lord. But if we're honest, I think we have to admit that our culture has already given up on him. They're not interested in this. It doesn't seem that there's much room anymore for people in positions of power to be learners. We expect that our leaders should know everything that they need to know before we give them the job. And we expect that they should be entirely consistent in their words and in their beliefs. If a politician were to change their position on some issue that mattered to us, well, we'd quickly say that they're spineless, that they're a flip-flopper, that they're untrustworthy and shouldn't have their job any longer. It doesn't really matter to us what made them change their mind, does it? It doesn't matter who they'd been listening to or how the situation might have changed that necessitated this different response. And I have to confess that I'm just as guilty of this as anyone else. When a promise that I care about is broken or changed or reneged by some politician, that I may have even supported, well, my openness to hearing why they changed that, it's minimal. And my trust in that person, it wanes. You see, we want people who speak words that we like and who are already fully formed, not having any need to listen to anybody else any longer. But this servant begins every day by listening listening and learning and reorienting himself back toward the Father, to be able to speak those words that will sustain the weary, not the words which will bolster his supporters. But there's something else that we should notice in just this first verse of the song, and it's a little bit obscured by our translations, because the kind of tongue that this servant has and the way that the servant listens are actually the same word in the Hebrew. They could be translated as scholar or educated, but you know, I really like disciple. The servant has the tongue of a disciple, and he listens like a disciple. This isn't some special, magical, silver tongue with which Jesus speaks. It's the tongue of a well-trained disciple sharing what he has heard from his master. As Jesus says himself in John 12, the Father who sent me has given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak, and I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus speaks words that he hears from the Father, which are words for eternal life. Not only is the servant a servant who listens in order to speak, the song says that the servant listens in order to be obedient. He does not rebel or turn away from what he hears, but he commits himself to the instruction that is at hand. Instruction, it seems, that includes being beaten and being mocked, being spit upon. Now, if we were okay with this servant before, this part probably raises a red flag. 
I suspect it raised some concerns for that original audience that received this song. The Israelites were themselves recipients of such abuse at the hands of their Babylonian captors. Why would they want a servant from God to come and to endure much of the same abuse that they already knew? They wanted somebody who would stand up to abuse, who would overcome it and oppose it, not someone who would just endure it. Why won't this servant retaliate? Why is he so passive? But he's not really passive, is he? The text says, I gave my back to those who struck me. I gave my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. There's an an activeness in this, a, a participation in this. The servant isn't allowing himself to be taken advantage of. He is choosing to be beaten, and he is choosing to be insulted. There is a deep intentionality behind the servant's ministry. Jesus understands this too as he speaks these words, anticipating his death to his disciples and friends. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. So why does the servant choose to endure this? Why would Jesus be obedient even to abuse and ridicule? I suspect that we all want a savior who will stand up to the bullies in the world, who will say to Rome and who will say to Babylon, enough, who will speak to the oppressors and to the authorities of our day and and stay their hand, not a savior who will subject themselves to the abuse that we are already too familiar with. The reality, however, is that it isn't Babylon that will strike the servant. It isn't really Rome that's interested in Jesus' death. It isn't the enemies of our day and of our minds, who we already know are opposed to God's kingdom and God's rule, who are the abusers. So who are they? Who are these abusers? Well, in Luke 9, verse 51, Luke records that Jesus set out resolutely for Jerusalem. This is a verse that we use all the time in Lent, especially at Knox, and we use it to mark what we're participating in, turning our attention toward the cross, taking purposeful steps with Jesus in the way that he leads us, even as he turned to face what waited for him, And this verse mirrors a similar verse from today's reading in Isaiah. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. The servant sets his face like flint to encounter what he knows is waiting for him. And Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, knowing what's waiting for him there too. Notice it isn't Rome that Jesus sets resolutely out for. It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the holy city, Jerusalem, the place where God's people dwell, this is the place where Jesus is meant to endure this abuse. This has always been the place where God's prophets have endured their abuse. A few chapters later in Luke 13, Jesus laments over Jerusalem. He's weeping over the city and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it. You see, it's not Babylon that's going to afflict the servant. It's Israel. It's not Rome that will target Jesus. It's Jerusalem. 
It's not the litany of problems that we have with this world that Jesus endures. It's us. It's the church. You see, the Israelites in Babylon would have struck compromises with their captors, and the voice of the servant, a disciple of the Lord, would be so unwelcome, calling them back to the sustaining life of life with God. The Pharisees in Jerusalem had a pretty comfortable agreement with Caesar, and they didn't want or need Jesus stirring up the pot or reinterpreting a law that they were pretty sure they already had a good enough handle on. It's the people who think they already know what they're doing, who don't have the ears of a disciple, who also have no interest in hearing from somebody else who may have the tongue of a disciple. It's these people who have no time for the call of a servant to return to the Lord, who have no patience for the long-suffering intentionality of Jesus in listening, speaking, and sustaining, who would react poorly, who would hurl insults, who would lash out and strike at the first thing that threatens their existence. And to any bad and false disciples, a good disciple is that very threat. That's why Jerusalem kills the prophets, because the prophets are a constant reminder that Jerusalem isn't what it thinks it is. It isn't yet what God wants it to be. That's why we have this opposite story, the story of Jonah. We all know this story, right? Maybe from Sunday school, the picture with the whale, and you know, we remember this, right? He's running away from the city called Nineveh. And Nineveh is supposed to be this terrible enemy of God and all God's people, and it's described in this way. It's said to have 120,000 people who didn't know their right hand from their left. 120,000 people who were uneducated, who didn't know right from wrong, who didn't know any better. And so when they receive a prophet, and I don't like judging sermons. As someone who preaches, it makes me nervous, but Jonah gives one of the laziest sermons I've ever read in my life. He gives this lazy ser sermon to the city of Nineveh full of uneducated people who don't know any better. And when they receive this message from this prophet of God, they repent. There's no abuse. There's no lashing out. The fact that the servant doesn't retaliate when he comes to Jerusalem knowing what to expect, that Jesus doesn't come in to strong arm and attack any who might confront him, is good news for us because we're the ones who would abuse him. Instead, he endures our abuse at the command of the Father. He takes the beating, and in obeying that command, he relates to the experience of every person who has ever endured such abuse before. And he learns how to comfort with a word. Jesus endures our abuse. The very things which are the instruments of shame he endures, and he says, I have not been disgraced, and I will not be put to shame. Because he sees beyond the pain and beyond the anger, and he sees his glory as a good and faithful disciple, who has not only been obedient to the Father, but who has also embraced the very people who scorned him and caused them to become the very image of who they once despised. Hebrews says it for us in this way. 
Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility at the hands of sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. This endurance was for Jesus' glory, as we, too, would be brought to glory as good and faithful disciples. He endured our abuse so that he could sustain us with a word, so we would not grow weary or lose heart. I think that this song is unique in all of the servant songs of Isaiah because it is invitational as much as it is descriptive. These things happened to Jesus. These things were about the promised Savior of the world. But this life is not only the life that Jesus lived. This is the life that every disciple of God is called to live. The ministry of Jesus takes us, sinful and abusive rejectors of God, and transforms us to do the things that we once despised. Jesus has the tongue and the ear of a disciple, and it is because of that vocation of being a good disciple of God, of listening and enacting what he hears, that he behaves in these ways, that he can anticipate what is to come and set his face like flint, that he can give his back to be struck and his cheeks to be pulled at. God helps him not only because he is the chosen servant, but also because he is a good and faithful disciple. Jesus himself welcomes his own disciples and friends into the life that he modeled for them. In the Beatitudes, Jesus concludes, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same ways they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the same ways that the prophets were persecuted, Jesus says as he enters Jerusalem, he'll be persecuted those ways. And then Jesus says to his friends and disciples that we should expect to endure those same things too. And that we will be blessed even as he is blessed. This is hard work. This is hard work that requires a disciple's ear and a disciple's tongue. It requires listening to God all the time to hear God's affirming word in our lives, to hear God reveal God's self to us, and then for us to change and mold our lives to fit that word. At the end of the season of Epiphany, I shared with you how important Epiphany is for the work of Lent. And I think songs like this remind us of that very thing, that we get a time like Epiphany. We get to understand and glimpse the mysteries of God for these long, hard roads where we'll be asked to choose into suffering and persecution for the sake of other people. Because the lesson of this song is that disciples of God have a difficult road. Every part of Isaiah's song points to the reality that the servant of God, as a good disciple, experiences what all good disciples come to expect, and that the disposition of the servant is one of actively moving toward suffering, 
When he lamented over Jerusalem, Jesus continued his lament by saying, How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. The servant moved toward suffering to gather children together, and all disciples of God moved toward suffering for the sake of still others beyond themselves, confident in that vindication of God, that we will be blessed as Jesus says we will be blessed, that we will not be disgraced, that we will not be put to shame. Therefore, brothers and sisters, blessed are you when you hear the instruction of God and as a good disciple choose in toward suffering, not unaware, not poorly informed, but fully expecting that this is God's road for us. Dear friends, blessed are you when you are rejected by people you love because you desire more for them than they can yet imagine for themselves. Knox Church, blessed are you when you set your face like a flint toward the cross which has been prepared for you to bear. Rejoice and be glad. For in the same way did the servant of the Lord accomplish the will of his Father. Amen. Let's pray together. Good God and loving Father, we are in awe of what tremendous love you have showed for us. That when we were still your enemies, when we were still far from you and not interested in what you were doing, when we were threatened by you, when we would lash out against you, that you did not crush us, but you gave yourself to us. You chose to endure the abuse we offered, fully aware that your love would win us out. God, what tremendous joy for us that you invite us to hear you and to speak for you, to give our lives for your work in this world and for others who you love and need to know your love. God, what a tremendous challenge it is for us to live the life of the cross. But in Jesus' life, we see a beauty and a goodness that we, on our better days, desire for ourselves. And so we pray that you would continue to open our ears, give us ears of disciples, that we would know the goodness of the cross for us that we would know the goodness of the cross for still others. We pray that you would help us, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.